Please remain standing for the reading of today's scripture from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who your child asks for bread will give a stone? Or if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And everything do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Good morning. I send greetings from Davis. He um, wanted me to say hello to you all this morning. He is out of town this weekend. His daughter Haley is graduating with her master's degree in counseling, so they're so happy about that and excited. He's particularly happy, I think, because she also already has a job, so that's also something to rejoice over. So he says hello to you this morning. So as Shelby has mentioned, we're starting a new series today called Neighbors. And as Davis has already said, the simplest form of evangelism is found in Jesus' words, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the purpose of this series is to challenge us a little bit, and each week we will have a specific challenge, to be intentional about getting to know our neighbors better and about showing God's love to our neighbors. And this experience was born out of, of two experiences that we had. Um, The first was the lead team shared in watching the Mr. Rogers documentary. And then upon returning to the church, as Davis has shared with you, he stood at the hands and he looked in all directions and realized that we don't know our neighbors as well as we should. Those in the medical building, those in the bank building, across the street in Maryland Farms. And so I asked myself upon this observation, why is that? And a couple of thoughts that almost immediately popped into my head was that maybe it has something to do with the fast pace of our lives, or maybe it has something to do with the fact that we're just not being intentional enough. So I'm glad we're being intentional about this. And Reverend Shelby has helped us to design each of the weekly challenges. And um, she was reading a book recently, and she shared some observations from this book about how our homes have become kind of a safe haven for us. It's a place that we go kind of to escape the pressures of the world. And we can observe that even by the architecture of our homes, things like we put privacy fences around our backyards because we just need some time alone. Also, I've observed that we went through this season of architecture where there were no front porches put on homes. And I'm glad to see that some of that is coming back because front porches is one of the places where we actually interact more with our neighbors. It's a place where we build community. And I remember when I was a child being at my grandparents' house, sitting on the front porch or sitting in the front yard and having neighbors just stop by just to say hi. 
There was no reason, there was no purpose other than just to visit for a spell. So there is an art to being neighborly and it's really good for the soul. And this seems legitimately hard to do in our fast-paced world. Our schedules are full of good things, of work, of school, of even fun activities. And when it happens that we get overscheduled, sometimes we don't have time to take care of ourselves and we get weary and maybe even a little bit irritable. And I guess it's pretty hard to be a good neighbor when we're feeling weary. And the problem is not that we occasionally have days like this. The problem is when we realize that every day has become like this, that there never seems to be enough time or enough energy to engage in relationships with those around us. Sometimes, even those living in our own home or in our own families. And when this happens, then we know we're in trouble. So today's text speaks to us about how we are to be in relationships, both with God and with our neighbors. It has a double focus. It starts with prayer, ask, seek, knock. These are prayer words. And then it moves on to be a good neighbor by saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And these, as it turns out, are deeply related to each other. So the text begins, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Now interestingly, the text does not say that we get to ask for whatever we want and it'll be given to us. It simply says, ask. It doesn't specify what we are to ask for, but if we look at the context of this text, then we might get some clues as to what Jesus might have been meaning by this. So this instruction, the reading for today, comes at the end of uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it follows a set of teachings that are pretty demanding and maybe pretty hard to do. Things like, when you get angry, don't hold on to it. If someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Give to everyone who asks love your enemy. Don't store up earthly treasures. And how about this? Don't judge. Or how about don't worry? So these are wonderful things, but sometimes they're not so easy to do. And these teachings remind us how powerless we are and how much we need God's help to follow Jesus's teachings and to enter into God's kingdom. Jesus acknowledges this in the very next verse. After what we just read, the the very next verse says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who take it for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life and there are few who will find it. So Jesus says to us, pray. That's the first thing, pray, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. Jesus is promising us first and foremost a relationship with God and God's help, the help of the Holy Spirit in living a kingdom life. Can you imagine a greater promise than that? This asking, seeking, knocking, this seeking a relationship with and help from our Lord is directly connected to the second part of that text, do unto others. This command to do unto others as you would have them do unto you seems really pretty practical until you slow down and think about it. 
It's huge. I found it much easier to think about what it does not look like than the vastness of what it does look like. So let's start by looking at its opposite. I call it the Jimmy Hoffa life philosophy. Do unto others before they do unto you, or as he once said, I do unto them what they do to me, only worse. So folks, this is taking the eye for an eye and even escalating it a bit. Now, sadly, we see this kind of retaliatory thinking all the time in daily news stories. News stories about politics, news stories about religious extremist violence. Some of us may even see it in people we know. And Jesus' teaching here is the polar opposite of what the world seems to do all the time. And what the world seems to think is the right thing to do. The world says, you hit me and I'm going to hit you back even harder. Whereas Jesus says, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, give them your shirt too. And love everyone, even those who treat you wrongly. This do unto others is a radical teaching. A similar but less radical teaching existed prior to Jesus in the writings of Jewish rabbis and in teachings of Buddha and Confucius. It was the golden rule in its negative form. And there were many ways it was stated, but it was something like this. Do not do unto others what you would not want them to do unto you. And that form seemed a little bit easier for me to kind of wrap my head around. We could presumably do nothing And as long as we're not actively harming someone, we could be almost fulfilling this particular form of the teaching. Just don't oppress someone, don't bear false witness, don't murder or steal, don't cheat or gossip or hold a grudge. So maybe it's not exactly easy to do all the time, but it it seems a little easier to understand. And Jesus significantly ups the demands when he says it in positive form. Jesus' version requires a lot of intentionality. So let's take a real close look at what he's saying. There are three words that I want to point out. Everything, do, and others. So the text says, quote, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. So first, in everything. Everything means that there are no limits to the kinds of things that we're to do for one another. Everything means everything. We are to do what is needed, whether it is financial or political or social or relationally or emotionally. We are supposed to do everything. And do. It requires action. We are to take the initiative We are to be intentional about making sure we're behaving in a neighborly way toward others. We're to go out of our way to do it, and the initiative really is on us. And then that third word, others. Notice this word is plural. It does not mean some others or only those we want to be neighborly to, but all others. Even those who don't look like us or don't think like us. Even our enemy, Jesus says. Just a few verses earlier, he said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So this teaching applies to all others. So taken together, it's huge. It's all-encompassing. 
do everything for everyone who needs your help in the same way you would want help if you needed it? Huge. Maybe a little overwhelming. Jesus is setting a pretty high standard here, but in doing so, he's also painting a beautiful vision of who we could be as kingdom people. So we immediately see why this begins with the command to pray. Jesus ends this verse with the words, quote, for this is the law and the prophets. Now this statement points back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember I said the text we read today is at the end. So at the very beginning or near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. So Jesus begins and ends the Sermon on the Mount by pointing to the law of the prophets. And Jesus had just said to his disciples right before that verse in 517, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And in everything in between, he's teaching us, teaching them how to be the salt of the earth, how to be the light of the world. Thus, do unto others is a summary command to live according to Jesus' teachings in the entire Sermon on the Mount, which itself points to the law and the prophets. So it's really a command to live in the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. And as we have seen, there is a big difference between living in a kingdom that values love and forgiveness and grace, and a kingdom that values power and retaliation. Mother Teresa summarizes the golden rule this way. She says, God is love and he has created us for greater things, to love and to be loved. True love is a giving, she says, and it's not how much we give, but rather it's how much love we put into the giving. Therefore, and this is important, it's necessary to pray. So Mother Teresa gets it. We cannot love like Jesus without relying on prayer, without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And she continues to say, the fruit of this prayer is a deepening of our faith. And the fruit of faith is love. And when we act out that love, it's service. And those acts of service are really acts of peace. And this process, she says, is the golden rule. So I'm going to say that one more time. There's a lot in there. She says, pray, because prayer is what deepens your faith. Faith is what grows your love. Love is what encourages you to have that initiative to serve others. And it's through that service that we share acts of peace. And this whole process is how we live out the golden rule. So love one another as God has loved each one of us. Mr. Rogers seemed to get this too. He was a very intentional disciple of Jesus. And he couldn't have become the person that he was or touched so many lives without asking and seeking and knocking. Did you know that Fred Rogers started every single day at 5 a.m. in prayer? And then at 7.30, he would go for a swim and he would continue praying as he swam. And then on the set, 
He would pray as he entered, and every decision that was made about the show, he would pray over it, no matter how small or how big. And this kind of prayerful living transforms not only the individual person who's doing it, but also all of the people that that person comes in contact with. In a book written by Amy Hollingsworth called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers, she tells a story about Mr. Rogers being awarded an honorary doctorate from Boston University in 1992. This was his 25th honorary doctorate. That alone is a testimony to how many lives he touched. So during the commencement ceremony, Fred was to offer the opening prayer. And before the gentleman finished introducing him, there were 5,000 graduates and they all went crazy. They're just yelling and screaming and cheering for Mr. Rogers. And he had to calm them down so that he could pray. So he leaned into the mic and he said, you wanna sing with me? Sit down and we'll sing together. And they all remembered the words. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Remember it? Won't you be my, be my neighbor? And then he prayed over them that they would know what was really fine in life. And that word fine, he intentionally used that so that they would know what was good and what was important in life. And as I read stories and as I remembered watching Mr. Rogers myself, a picture emerged of a soul with a very generous spirit. Mr. Rogers was always saying things to make other people feel loved, respected, and valued. And living this kind of life, according to Mr. Rogers, requires a slower pace, one much slower than the world seems to press upon us. He saw that without the ability to slow down, we become more reactive rather than intentional in how we treat others. And I must confess, I'm a much nicer person when my pace is slower. How about you? I'm going to share a little bit of an embarrassing example with you. I had a frenzied day a few weeks ago. I had one of those days where I had back-to-back-to-back meetings, and I was trying to have conversations in between the meetings. It was just an overloading day. So I stopped by the grocery store, and I was checking out, and the clerk was being so nice and engaging in conversation, and I was just empty. I just had nothing. And so I was trying to engage, but was honestly not doing very good. I was just really tired. So I was hoping that my fatigue-induced impatience wasn't showing on my face when the clerk asked the question, so what do you do for a living? (laughs) I'm a pastor. (laughs) It's a job hazard. For those of you who are old enough, do you remember how Mr. Rogers used to start the show every week? How he would enter the house and take his sweet time putting on his sweater and changing his shoes and feeding his fish. And do you remember that flashing yellow light that was on the set? And how you just knew something was amiss when the trolley started moving too fast? You knew something bad was gonna happen? Every bit of this was intentional. He was trying to teach us something with his actions. Slow down, be present with each other. And so today I'm going to end with a few thoughts from an article I read that was written by Omid Safi. He's a professor of Islamic studies at Duke University. 
And he tells a story about one particular day he experienced where he encountered three different friends, and he asked all three, how are you doing? And all three of them immediately responded, I'm so busy. I am just so busy. I have so much going on. All of them rattled off what they were doing, and not one of them answered how they were doing. And this included an incident with a neighbor that he was trying to set up a play date with their two daughters. And he said the mother reached for her phone, and she starts doing this on the calendar. And then she finally says, okay, she has 45 minutes and two and a half weeks from now. And Omar asked, how did we end up living like this? How have we crafted lives that keep us from forming the kind of community that we all so desperately crave? How have we lost the art of slow conversations with pregnant pauses and silences that nobody is in a rush to fill? Do unto others, perhaps at its most fundamental level, means helping one another find what really matters to all of us, community, relationships with each other, and with God. And what blessings that brings. So today, I encourage us to practice being a good neighbor this week. Our weekly challenge is simply this, that we slow down just enough to really see our neighbor, to be present, and that we go to God in prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, so that maybe we will become more fully aware of how to be a better neighbor. The golden rule encompasses in a very short form what is intended for us by God. And maybe, just maybe, it looks a little bit like Mr. Rogers, the prototypical good neighbor who lived a life of prayer, presence, and neighborly love. There's something of the kingdom vision in there. And maybe, just maybe, it even looks like a room of 5,000 students lovingly cheering for a man who taught them how to be kind. Fred Rogers fed those 5,000 with what he had been given by God. Now, some of us may look at it and say, it doesn't look like much to me. But in God's hands, it fed a multitude. And God can do that with what we have to offer, too, no matter how little or how big it is. So it is a beautiful day. Won't you be my neighbor? May it be so. Amen.